0: what's up, Trace? Uh, Hope you guys are doing well today. Uh, First, I just want to welcome any of you that are joining us for the very first time. Uh, Whether you saw our street signs, maybe you got invited by a friend, or maybe you've been watching watching us online and decided to join us in person today. Uh, Whatever the case, we're grateful that you're here. Um, Also, just want to give a quick shout out to anybody joining us online today. Whether you're watching us live or maybe some other time during the week or at a later date, we're grateful to have you as a part of the conversation. Um, My name is Josiah, and I I have the opportunity to be the student pastor here at Trace, and something you need to know about Trace if this is your first time here is that we care a lot about our kids and students here at Trace, that uh, like Travis said, this past week, we actually got to host a huge camp here at Trace uh, called our Ki- it, uh, sorry, Trace Kids Adventure Camp, that is a mouthful, Trace Kids Adventure Camp, um, and it was a great time, it was a great experience, I know many of you guys got to be a part of that, uh, whether you dropped your kid off here or maybe you were on a team uh, leading uh, group of kids. Whatever the case, it was awesome. Um, selfishly, I had a lot of fun. Uh, I got to see a lot of cool things. I watched as uh, some moms would come and drop their kids off and then go hang out together for the whole morning, which was great. Um, I got to push. I mean, uh, gently encourage some kids down a water slide and spray them, spray them with a hose. It was great. And then uh, at the same time, though, I got to watch uh, some kids no older than third grade run up to me with giant smiles on their face and introduce me to one of their friends that they had invited to camp and some of these kids had never been to trace before it was just such a great experience and i know none of this would have happened uh, without jessica our kids director or without our kids team so could we just celebrate them give it up for them Yeah, we're super, super grateful for them um, and all the work that they do. Um, But I also want to remind you of something that happened a couple of weeks ago, um, that Aaron, our senior pastor, he got up here on this stage and he talked about the fact that while yes, we are always going to celebrate what is happening at this church, what God is doing uh, and has done here at Trace, we're always going to celebrate those things. uh, But at the same time, we're never going to settle for the status quo that uh, here at Trace, we want to be prepared for all the things that God ki- wants to continue to do. And he talked about the fact that in this building, we only have about two and a half years left on our lease. And if we continue to grow at the rate we've been growing, which is a good thing, that we're actually going to outgrow this space before then. And we're going to feel it in our kids' areas. We're going to feel it in our student areas. And so he got up on stage and, and he asked us all to think and pray and consider about what it would look like for us as a church to raise $1 million dollars to make whatever move we need to make next. And let me just be clear this morning and say, it's not about the money. Uh, It's not about just building a new building so that we can be the cool trendy church in town. It's so much more than that. That guys, we want to see more lives changed for Jesus. That we don't want our building to be an obstacle for people who are trying so desperately to get to Jesus that we want to see more addictions being broken. We want to see more marriages being restored. We want to see more people being empowered to do the things that God created them to do. And so I'd love to invite you. I'd love to ask you to pray and consider what it would look like for us as a church, for you as individuals to bring the biggest gift that you've ever given to a church or an organization on our fifth anniversary, which is September 12th. And I'd love to ask you to consider that. And so I don't know what you need to do this summer to get prepared. Maybe you need to have a garage sale and sell some things and give the proceeds to the church. Maybe you don't need coffee every single day. Uh, Maybe you don't need to eat out as much. Uh, Josiah, I'm talking to myself on that one. Uh, Maybe you don't need that third car. Maybe you don't need to go on that fourth vacation. I don't know what it looks like for you. But we're going to be keeping this in front of you over the course of the summer because we want you to be prepared as individuals, but we also want to be prepared as a church to see what God is going to do uh, through Trace Church. And so uh, that being the case, I just want you to pray about that. Be thinking about that over the course of this summer. But today I am pumped. Uh, we are starting a brand new series called Anchors. This is a series I've wanted to do for a very long time, and the vision behind this series is very simple. And many of you guys, you know the purpose of an anchor, that uh, the purpose of an anchor is to keep idle boats from drifting away, that if a boat has an anchor on it, uh, like it's not going to drift very far. However, if it doesn't have an anchor, that it could drift hundreds, if not thousands of miles away from home, depending on you know what the wind wants to do, depending on what the waves want to do, but if a boat does have an anchor, that no matter what's going on above the surface, whether it's huge storms with large waves and strong winds, that below the surface, if it has an anchor, there is something much stronger holding that boat in place. And the same is true for our lives, that as people, we all have the tendency to drift. The author of Hebrews, he puts it this way when he says this, so we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard, Otherwise, we may drift away from it. And that phrase, drift away from it, he's talking about a boat drifting out into the sea. That as people, we all have the propensity to drift. That whether we drift because we live idle lives or we leave our lives unattended, or maybe there's some external sources, some things above the surface that are happening in our lives, we all know what it feels like to wake up one day and recognize that we are much further off than we wish we were, that we get it. That drift, it happens. And this is especially true when it comes to matters of our faith. That we all know what it feels like to drift in our faith. That maybe for you, it was like a past hurt. That somewhere along the way, you had a bad experience at church. You had a bad experience in a religious organization. And rather than risk getting hurt again, you decided to stay away. And over the course of weeks, over the course of months, over the course of years, you, you drifted. Or maybe for you, it's a present habit that you have some addictions in your life that you want so desperately, so desperately to get rid of. And you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed for God to take those things away and he hasn't. And you're starting to wonder that either God isn't there or maybe he just doesn't care about you and in that moment, you've drifted. Or maybe for you, it's an intellectual hangup, that there are just some things we believe, uh, some claims that we make as followers of Jesus that just don't add up in your head. And so piece by piece, question by question, argument by argument, you've begun to deconstruct your faith until finally you find yourself in a place where you've drifted much further than you intended and you're wondering if any of this is real in the first place. Look, we get it. That drift happens in our lives. And for many of us, like we're no exception to that. I know what it feels like to drift in my own life, that I've been in many of those places that I just described to you. However, over the years, what I've learned to do is develop these anchors in my life, to develop these spiritual anchors in my faith. That way, no matter what's going on out there, no matter what's happening above the surface, no matter how hard things get in my life, that there are some things below the surface that are holding my faith in place. There are some things below the surface that I can put my trust in, that I can rely on. And over the course of this series called Anchors, we want to help you develop the very same things. That listen, we believe here at Trace that a blind faith is a dangerous one, that you don't have to check your brains at the door whenever you walk into this room. If you want to believe in Jesus, there are perfectly good, logical reasons to believe the things that we do, and we want to help you understand what some of those things are so that you can begin to develop some of these anchors in your life. And so to do that, we're just going to ask a question every single week and talk about what it looks like to believe those things, not just what we believe, but why we believe them. And so today we're gonna kick this series off by talking about what I think is the most important question when it comes to our faith. And it's this question right here, did Jesus really resurrect from the dead? Did Jesus really resurrect from the dead? And before I dive in this morning, I should probably preface and say this, that I recognize not everybody here, not everybody watching online is a follower of Jesus. that not all of you believe the same things I do, that many of us are gonna disagree about some of the things uh, that I'm gonna talk about today. And if that's you this morning, I need you to know, like, that's okay. Like, it's okay to believe differently than we do. That this is a place that you can belong even before you believe. That my goal this morning isn't gonna try to, I'm not gonna try to argue you into following Jesus. That I'm not gonna try to make anybody look stupid, that I'm not gonna sit up here and act like I have all the answers because the truth is, and you guys know this, like I don't. Um, All I wanna do this morning, all I wanna do is I just wanna share a couple of things that have been helpful in my life a couple of things that have been helpful in my faith and in order to give you maybe some things to think about, maybe even reconsider in your own life. And so that being said, let's go ahead, let's dive in this morning, starting with that question, did Jesus really resurrect from the dead? So if you were to read your Bible uh, from cover to cover, in between, you're gonna find some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, However, I believe one of the craziest claims that we make as followers of Jesus is that uh, the person of Jesus Christ physically resurrected from the dead. And I'll go ahead and put my cards on the table. This may be obvious, it may not, but the answer to that question, did Jesus really resurrect from the dead? I believe the answer to that question is yes. And while I believe this is one of the craziest claims that we make, I also believe it's one of the most important questions that we can answer as people. That if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, then I hate to tell you this, but like we're wasting our time here today. That you probably should have stayed home and slept and You probably should have enjoyed the summer weather today. And Paul, he says something similar in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says this. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then all of our preaching is useless. And by the way, your faith is also useless. Like how many of you guys woke up and came to church to hear that, that one today, that your faith is useless, right? But our entire faith, our entire following of Jesus, it rests on this question right here. Did Jesus really resurrect from the dead? Because if he didn't, like I said, we're wasting a lot of our time. That many of us have wasted a lot of money. And most of us have wasted most of our lives trying to live up to an expectation that wasn't even real in the first place. However, if the resurrection did happen, if there really was a guy that predicted his own death, died, got it right, and then three days later walked out of his tomb very much so alive, then guys, that changes everything. But I'm going to go with whatever he says, because clearly he's figured something out that the rest of us haven't. That don't miss that this is a high stakes question. This is a high stakes conversation this morning. And I want you to know that I've spent a majority of my life trying to make sure that I answer that question correctly. Trying to make sure that I know why I believe what I believe, not just uh, know what I believe. And for me, really, it's come down to three different evidences three different things in my life that when I look at the resurrection, I can't find a better explanation than the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so for the rest of our time today, I just wanna share these three things with you in hopes that it'll give you something to think about. And so I'll start with the first one, which is this right here, the existence of the church. And so the first thing I need you to know about the existence of the church is this, the church shouldn't exist. The church shouldn't exist. That in John uh, 15, when Jesus says, "'If the world hates you, remember that it, he, it hated me first.'" That this wasn't just a prediction of the persecution the church would eventually face. This was a description of the opposition that Jesus already did. That when Jesus was going around and doing his ministry, he was working against the full power of the Romans at the time and the full power of the Jews. That the Romans, they held all the political power at the time, but the Jews, they held all the cultural influences. And make no mistake, like the Jews and the Romans, neither one of them wanted this Jesus movement to succeed. And on top of that, the Romans, they already had a pretty good track record of squashing rebellions, squashing movements like this. That if something even looked like a religious uprising, they were quick to bring an end to it that Jesus, he wasn't the first guy to walk into town and impress people by the things that he said. He wasn't the first guy to walk into town and gain a following and upset the religious elite. And he definitely wasn't the first guy to be hung on a cross as a form of propaganda for the Romans so that everybody knew when they saw someone hanging on a cross, this is what happens when you mess with the Romans. That before Jesus, there was actually a guy named Judas. And after Jesus, there was a guy named Thaddeus. And after him, several others, all of them claiming to be something more than they were. All of these guys uh, gaining a huge following. And while every single one of them had uh, a similar rise to fame, every single one of them except Jesus had a very steep decline as well. That all of their movements died with them. And so it begs the question, what made Jesus different? What made Jesus different? How did this backwoods homeless man with a ragtag group of like illiterate ordinary men create this movement that would eventually bring uh, the fall to one of the most uh, like powerful empires of the time, the Roman empire. And then not only that, but be our topic for discussion today, some 2000 years later. What happened to allow Jesus to succeed when every other guy just like him failed? And now while it'd be irresponsible at this point just to like jump in the boat of the resurrection and say, oh, it was the resurrection, that's what made this happen. While that would be irresponsible of us to do that, what I need you to understand is with the amount of opposition that Jesus faced, the church should not exist, but it does. And while nothing of the movement of Jesus was very spectacular when compared to everyone else, you cannot deny that the fact that we are all sitting in here today in a church some 2000 years later is nothing short of remarkable. That listen, somewhere along the way, I believe something happened, something happened that led one of the most heavily opposed worldviews at the time to instead be adopted by a thousand some seven weeks later. Now what that something is, that's totally up to you guys. You guys know where I sit on that, but whatever alternative to the resurrection that you use, it has to explain the existence of the church today. So that's the first thing, is the existence of the church. The second thing I wanna tell you about, the second evidence that points me in the direction of the resurrection is the problem of the empty tomb. The problem of the empty tomb. So let's say today, uh, I get done preaching uh, this, this afternoon and I'm hungry. And so I hop in my brown Subaru and I drive to Cane's Chicken because Chick-fil-A is close um, and I'd probably rather go there, but it's fine. Go to Cane's and on my way to Cane's, God forbid, I get hit by a drunk driver and die instantly. And you guys see this on the news, you get an app notification, there's a social media post about it. You're all invited to the funeral. You show up to the funeral, you hear somebody talking about my life, and then you go to my gravesite and you see my tombstone there and it says something along the lines of, like not too bright, just a good thief because like none of my ideas are original. Um, And you see that happen and you watch me get put in a casket lowered six feet under and buried in a mound of dirt. And then next week you show up to church and Dr. T is up here and he's rambling about the fact that I'm not actually dead. That just the day before he saw me walk into the gym with a Mountain Dew in my hand and a big smile on my face, like all things I would enjoy. And uh, he's talking about how I'm not dead. Let me ask you this. What would be the most effective way to prove to Dr. T that he has lost his mind and that I am still dead in my casket? Yes, you could get a birth or a death certificate, not a birth certificate, a death certificate, or you could get an autopsy report. But while it would be hard, those things can still be forged. No, the most effective way for you to show Dr. T that I was still dead would be to march down to my gravesite to dig up my casket and show him my six foot four body. That is the only way and it's the most effective way to show to him uh, that I am still dead. And in the very same way, what would be the most effective way for the Jews and the Romans to go to this cult and ensure that this cult that is going around saying the traitor Jesus is not actually dead when you know full well that he is because you watched him die on a cross. What would be the most effective way to prove them wrong? It would be to march down to his tomb, to roll the stone away and show them his body. But that's not what happens, is it? Like that's not what they do, is it? That as we talked about today, uh, if they, w- sorry, if they would have done that, like the movement would have died with Jesus on the cross, but that's not what happened. That as we already talked about, uh, the church does exist. The church does exist at this point. And so why didn't they do that? Why didn't they just go down to the tomb and show them the body? Really, there's only a couple options, really just four. One, either the Jews and the Romans, they didn't know where the body was buried, but they didn't know where the tomb of Jesus was second option is that they didn't bury Jesus in a tomb at all, that he was buried in a mass grave, and so his body would have been indistinguishable from everybody else's. Third option is somebody stole the body, meaning that they didn't have a body to show uh, these Christians who were claiming these crazy things about a resurrected man named Jesus. Or the fourth option is Jesus really did resurrect from the dead, and he walked out of his tomb very much so alive, and so the Jews and Romans were left without a body, okay? So let's look at those. I don't think the first two are very viable, Because if the Jews, if the Romans, uh, really wanted to stop this movement, if they really didn't want Christianity to continue, if they unintentionally didn't find out where the tomb was, or if they intentionally buried him in a mass grave, then that was a very stupid decision on their part. Because as we said, the most effective way for them to stop this movement would have been to just simply show them the body. But they didn't do that, and so either you know they didn't do that unintentionally, or they didn't do that intentionally. That was a very dumb move on their part because they're giving over their biggest leverage that they have to make sure that Jesus's following doesn't last past the cross. Now I could be giving them too much credit, that I could be saying like it's possible that they are uh, they are that dumb. But at the same time, um, the Romans that I read about, the Romans that I've studied, they were extremely meticulous. They were extremely intentional, especially when it came to things like this, that this is one of the reasons they were able to last so long as an empire. And so I don't think those two are very likely. Third, that leaves only two other options, that Jesus did resurrect from the dead or that somebody stole the body. So we'll look at the stolen body theory. Um, If somebody stole the body, we have to ask the question, who stole the body? That it could have been the Jews or the Romans, but once again, I don't think they would have done that for the reason we just talked about, which leaves either grave robbers or the disciples. Now, Jesus was a homeless man with no worldly possessions, so I don't think grave robbers probably would have broken into his tomb, and if they did, they wouldn't have gotten anything, Um, but uh, that leaves the disciples, and the disciples, now they had motive. Now, they had a reason to steal the body. Now, that could be very likely. However, right after Jesus dies, we get this account written by a guy named Matthew uh, that when Jesus dies, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders at the time, they remember that Jesus said something like, uh, I'm gonna come back from the dead three days from now. And they think that's absolute nonsense, but what they're really worried about is that somebody would come and mess with the body to make it look like Jesus had risen from the dead. And so they go to their friend, Pilate, the Roman higher up at the time, and they tell him their concerns, and then they ask him for a favor. This is what it says in Matthew 27. They told him, sir, we remember that when the deceiver was alive, the deceiver is what they called Jesus, uh, while he was still alive, he said, after three days, I will rise from the dead. And so we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. That if that happens, we'll actually be worse off than we were at first. And so Pilate, fearing an uprising, he says, take guards and secure it the best you can. And so they sealed the tomb and posted guards there to protect it. That while, yes, listen, it is possible that the disciples broke in and stole the body, but I believe it is highly, highly unlikely that they would have been able to get past a trained professional Roman guard, either by force or just sneaking around him quietly and moving the big rock without anybody knowing about it and then Jesus bringing Jesus out without anybody seeing this. And I think that would be highly, highly unlikely. Not to mention the fact that most of the disciples at this point are running and hiding because they think they're gonna get crucified next. So while yes, there are a million other theories out there about what happened to the body, what I need you to understand is one thing, that cannot be get, like, one thing that cannot be explained easily without a lot of mental gymnastics, without ignoring a lot of historical context, is the problem of the empty tomb. And so first we have the existence of the church, then we have the problem of the empty tomb, but then lastly, the last thing I want to talk to you about is the conversion of the disciples, including James and Paul. So when you look through the gospels and you look at the disciples, the picture that is painted of them is not a very pretty one. <laughs> they don't like get painted in a very good light you have a lot of people asking really dumb questions you have a lot of people vying for power and arguing over who's the greatest you have james mocking his older brother jesus making fun of him you have saul who's approving the killing and persecution of people that are following jesus that the gospels they don't make the disciples look very good that if anything they make them look very very bad Uh, take peter for example Peter would have been in the inner circle. He would have been part of uh, the inner three group of disciples. So these three guys would have spent the most time with Jesus. They would have known him the best. They would have potentially been the most committed people to the movement. Yet at the end of Jesus's life, what do we see Peter doing? Not only do we see him trying to run and hide and get away, but we actually see him denying that he even knew Jesus because he's scared that he'll be guilty by association. That while sure, these disciples were committed to the movement, I don't think they really fully understood what was happening at the time. That when Paul, or sorry, when Jesus was arrested and sentenced to crucifixion, Mark, he writes this, that in that moment, then all his disciples deserted him, that all of them ran away, that they were gripped by fear and so they hid. Why? Because they thought it was all over, that Jesus was just another guy that came and went. And none of them really expected Jesus to come back from the dead. I love how Andy Stanley says this. He says, nobody was expecting no body. That the disciples were afraid and they weren't looking to make any moves for the kingdom. That Jesus was dead and so were their hopes that he, was being, that he was someone special. That once again, the Roman crucifixion had done its job very well. That these people were scared to death and they ran and hid and that was that. Or was it? Because the disciples we read about later on in Acts and in the letters to the early church look nothing like a bunch of timid guys looking over their shoulder, wondering when they're gonna get caught, when they're going to get killed. That if anything, it's the exact opposite. That Peter goes from constantly sticking his foot in his mouth to preaching one of the greatest sermons of all time, leading to thousands of people being baptized all in one day. That James, the brother of Jesus, who would make fun of and mock his older brother, Jesus, uh, eventually becomes one of his greatest supporters. And he leads one of the biggest churches in the known world at the time in the city of Jerusalem. And Paul, Paul goes from being a Christian killer to becoming a church planter and leading to the most explosive growth the church has ever seen. But not only that. But each and every single one of them lived their life sold out to the gospel of Jesus, sold out to the message of the resurrection. But not only did they live their lives that way, but each and every one of them died a death professing that faith. That not just did they die a death, like a normal death, like in imprisonment or of old age, that they died gruesome deaths. That Peter was crucified upside down. That Paul was beheaded. That several others were stoned and beaten to death. And listen, people die every single day for a lie. But very rarely, very rarely do people die for something that they know is not true. And that's another reason I don't think the disciples stole the body. But you look at these conversions and you look at these transformations, and for one, like I'm grateful that the disciples were more of a second half team because we get a like, benefit from that. But at the same time, it makes you wonder, like, how did this happen? Like, what would it have taken? How did these unschooled, ordinary men go from being scared, fearful, and timid to becoming some of the most bold and tenacious followers of Jesus? Like, think about it. What would it have taken to convince James, the brother of Jesus, that his older brother was the Messiah that everybody had been waiting for? Like, I don't know about you guys, but there's nothing I could tell my brothers or do for my brothers that they would believe that about me. No, it would be one, and then it would be one thing. If like one or two of them, maybe even three of them held on to some hope that after Jesus died that one or two or maybe three of them like continued on the movement, but to have every single one of them with the addition of James and Paul, like it's crazy to think about. That once again, you cannot deny that something happened. And from my perspective, I believe that that something that the only thing that could have led to that drastic of a change in their lives was nothing short of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And while it'd be so much easier to just use the cop out and say, well, Josiah, you know, I guess we'll never know. I think it's incredibly intellectually lazy and even irresponsible to accept a non-answer when it comes to this question, especially when there is a perfectly good answer, although it sounds crazy does match up and line up with those three things. That the resurrection of Jesus does explain the existence of the church, that it does solve the problem of the empty tomb, and it does explain the conversion of the disciples. And listen, like I'm perfectly fine, perfectly fine if you disagree with me. Believe me, I have plenty of friends that do. But at the same time, until I hear an answer that satisfies those three areas better than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I don't know if my mind will be changed. Because once again, how we answer that question, did Jesus really resurrect from the dead? It determines if we are all just simply wasting our time here or or, it changes everything. And so look, I know I've thrown a lot at you this morning, that this has been a very dense sermon that we've talked about a lot, that it's been very intellectually heavy. And hopefully I've given you some things to think about in your life. But before we transition, I really wanna remind you why we have conversations like this. And once again, we don't have conversations like this so that you can simply know more. We don't have conversations like this so that you can go home and try to argue your neighbor into following Jesus. We don't have these conversations so that I can stand up here and try and sound smart in front of all of you, like we couldn't care less about those things. No, we have these conversations because we understand that sometimes like life really sucks That sometimes life is really hard. That many of us have walked in here today realizing that we have drifted so far away in our faith. And we have conversations like this because we want to give you some anchors that you can put below the surface. That even though nothing else makes sense in your life, that there are some things below the surface that you can put your trust in, that you can put your hope in, that you can put your faith in. And I believe the resurrection of Jesus is one of those things. And so we've given you a lot of information this morning, but information is useless if it doesn't lead to transformation. And so every single week, we wanna give you an opportunity to respond that we don't want people to just come in here, listen to some guy talk and leave exactly the same. And so we're gonna go ahead and transition into a time of response. listen, I recognize there are many of you this morning, maybe some of you that are watching online today, that you showed up, and you've got a lot going on in your life that you realize there has been so much drift in your life, so much drift in your faith, faith that you woke up this morning and realized you are so much further off than you wanted to be. That maybe because it's a, a past hurt, maybe because it's a present habit, maybe it's an intellectual hang up, but you have drifted in your life and you're starting to wonder like, how can I overcome these things? How can I overcome these obstacles? How can I get past this? Is God still going to accept me? And guys, what I want you to know is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only is it a good discussion to talk about intellectually, but it's an excellent representation of the fact that if Jesus could conquer death, the one problem that we are all gonna face someday, then I guarantee you he can conquer some of the things in your life. And it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but someday, someday that promise has been given to us and it will be fulfilled through Jesus. And so maybe this morning you're looking for some hope Maybe this morning you wanna know what it looks like to have something in your life that is so stable that no matter what is going on up here, you can have some things in your life that are keeping you steady. And once again, I believe the resurrection is that thing. And so if you'd like to have a conversation about what it would look like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you wanna know what it could look like to have somebody that you can constantly put your hope in that you can constantly rely on, then we'd love to have that conversation with you this morning. I'm gonna be in the back and I'd love to talk to you about what it would look like for you to say yes to Jesus. Or maybe this morning, like you've been a follower of Jesus for a very long time. And today we talked a lot about the resurrection, but before Jesus could rise from the dead, first he had to go to a cross. And every single week, we take a moment every single week out of the busyness of life to just stop and remember exactly what it is that Jesus did for us on the cross. That although he didn't have to, he took his place on the cross to take your shame, to take your guilt, to take the sin that you've experienced in your life so that you don't have to deal with that anymore. And every week we have these tables around the room that have a cracker and some juice. And that's just a symbol of what it is that God did for us the day that he went to the cross. And so maybe this morning, how you respond is by just taking a moment to thank God for the life he has given you, to thank him for resurrecting from the dead so that we have something to put our hope in. Or maybe for you this morning, you walked through those doors and you had a lot on your shoulders. That there's just a lot of life going on right now for you. And you can't do it on your own. That you weren't built for that and that's okay. That listen, we as a church, we want the opportunity. We would love the opportunity to pray for and with you for the things that are going on in your life. And so if that's that's you this morning, I would encourage you to go back to the table, fill out a prayer request form. We would love the opportunity to pray for and with you about the things that are going on in your life. Look, I don't know how you need to respond this morning, but I'm gonna ask that you do. So I'm gonna pray and then you guys will be free to respond. God, thank you for today. God, we know the church shouldn't exist and yet it does. That we get to come here every single week and we get to be reminded of the things that we believe and not just what we believe, but why we believe them. God, thank you for being a God that has good and logical reasons to believe in you. But God, right now, I know there's some people in this room, there's maybe some people watching online that they don't know what they believe. That God, maybe there's some things going through their minds. And so God, I pray that you just give them peace with whatever uh, you need to. That you would send your Holy Spirit to God and comfort their thoughts right now. God, I pray for the people in this room that are just experiencing life and it just isn't fun. Like it's just hard right now. God, that you would continue to remind them of who you are and who your son is, that the resurrection would remind them that you conquered death, that you can conquer anything that we are experiencing. God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.